Welcome back to the Black Health Lit Podcast, where we focus on all things Black health. The goal of Black Health Lit is to elevate Black lives through health literacy, education, and inspiration. I'm your host, Rachel Ray Crowder, a public health professional and healthcare consultant in Columbus, Ohio. Today's episode is titled, The Facts on Diabetes. I had the chance to talk with Asia Walden, who is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes education specialist. She is dedicated to helping her clients unlock the healing power of food. Asia completed her Bachelor of Science in Dietetics at Kaiser University, her Bachelor of Science in Nutritional Science at Michigan State University, and her Master's of Arts in Organizational Management at Ashford University. I hope you enjoy listening to the Black Health Lit podcast and that you apply some of the practical information you learn. However, I do want you to know that Black Health Lit is not a replacement for the advice of your licensed clinical professional. Welcome back to the Black Health Lit Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Asia Walden. And today we are talking about getting the facts on food and diabetes. So before we get into the topic, Asia, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. Thank you, Rachel, for having me today. I appreciate this opportunity. And um, just so that everyone knows a little bit about me, I am Asia Walden, as uh, Rachel mentioned. I'm a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator. Um, That's the short version of the credential. (laughs) Um, What I do on a day-to-day basis uh, in my full-time job is working with patients who have diabetes, whose hemoglobin A1Cs are greater than 9%. Um, I also speak a lot with people who are newly diagnosed, just helping them to navigate the ins and outs of the condition and figure out how best to put themselves in a place of good management. Um, I'm married. I have a four-year-old daughter, and uh, my husband and I are originally from South Florida, so we're trying to think of this time in Ohio as a bit of an adventure um, because the weather is very different than what we're used to. Um, But, you know, excited to be here and, and experience what we're going to experience. Nice. I did not know you were from South Florida. Which part? So uh, my family, most of my family's in Jacksonville, but I grew up in in, uh, Fort Lauderdale. Cool. I've been in Fort Lauderdale, but never Jacksonville. I like Florida for vacationing. Um, I don't know if I could deal with the heat. So like how you feel about Ohio weather, I probably feel about Florida weather in the summer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, since being up here, I think my blood has definitely thickened because when I go home, like even in the fall or the winter in Florida, I'm boiling, I'm like burning up and I can't stand it and that it didn't used to be that way. So yeah, we adjust. We definitely adjust. So you share that you're a registered dietitian. Um, I don't think a lot of people know what a registered dietitian is. So let's open with that. What is a registered dietitian? And in a second part to that question, how are they different from nutritionists? So um, a registered dietitian is basically a nutrition professional that understands the ins and outs of your chronic conditions and medical conditions and how food and nutrition relates to that. Um, In order to be a registered dietitian, at this point, you do have to have a four-year degree, a bachelor's degree. Um, That is going to be changing here shortly to where it will be required that um, incoming dietitians have a master's degree. Um, We also have to go through 
a year of supervised practice, which is basically an unpaid internship. So you're working 40 hours a week um, for that year in different areas of nutrition from clinical to community to food service um, to everything in between. And then uh, once we complete that, we have to pass a national credentialing, credentialing exam. Um, and then, you know, once you're credentialed, you have to keep up with continuing education. And, you know, if there's licensure involved in your state, because a lot of times it's licensed to practice state by state, then you have to keep up with those as well. Um, in order for someone to call themselves a nutritionist, the criteria may or may not be as stringent. There are programs for certified nutritionists, um, and there's organizations for certified nutritionists, just like dietitians. But nutritionist is a term that's that's used very loosely. Um, in yeah. fact, I've I've encountered people who sell like nutrition supplements, but have never taken a nutrition course, calling themselves nutritionists. So yeah. you have to be very leery of when someone uses that term. Yeah. Definitely. It's kind of similar to, um, I've talked to a lot of licensed practicing counselors or uh, people who have medical degrees and they're psychiatrists. You know, those are more clinical. You, you went and studied, you did unpaid internships, worked long nights, stayed at the library, um, not to discredit other um, people with credentials, but there, there are definitely levels to it. <laughs> and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a registered dietitian is definitely um, in the clinical, more professional space in general. Yes. Um, what are some of the benefits of having a dietitian, even when you're not obese? So when it comes down to the clinical aspect of being a dietitian, there are a lot of different medical conditions um, where a dietitian can help. So um, I think most people, when they think nutrition, they just think, oh, I need to lose weight. But a dietitian can help the elderly person who has started to lose weight unintentionally. Um, you know, a dietitian can help the person who is having swallowing difficulties to figure out what foods they can eat that will maintain their body's weight. Um, a dietitian is also the person that determines when somebody's in the hospital whether or not they need to be eating regular food or they need to be on a tube feed or they need to be fed, you know, through their veins. Um, right you know, different conditions. Like I talked to someone recently who's a dietitian that works with patients who have ALS. So there's different nutrition for that. Um, you know, so even if you're not trying to lose weight, you know, if you have kidney disease, if you have diabetes, if you are struggling with MS, if you need to follow a gluten-free diet and you don't know what that looks like, those are the things that you would be consulting a dietitian for. Okay. It feels like to me, kind of like with preventative care, if, if you have access to a registered dietitian, whether it's through your insurance or you're able to afford out of pocket, it's probably a good idea to at least talk with a dietitian at some point in our lives um, as young adults before we developed those conditions, because we are, as a society, especially in America, um, I won't go on a whole tangent about the quality of our food, but so many of us are, un, you know, malnourished or um, undernourished, whether we're obese or, or thin as a rail, that nutrition is, is really not there for a lot of Americans. So it's mm -hmm. a good idea, in my opinion, talk with a dietitian if you have access before you have a condition. Would you agree with that? I do agree with that. Um, I think it's, you know, 
unfortunately with insurance they only cover certain diagnoses but like you said if you can find somebody that's willing to work with you and and is within your price range it's to your benefit to at least understand the basics of food and how food works with your body and what's best and you know how you can incorporate foods that maybe you enjoy but they're not as healthy so that you can continue with your health moving forward yeah i was talking with one of my friends um actually my friend that you're working with i'll 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 protect his privacy but um i asked him you know how's it going he loves you by the way and (laughs) shared um with me in total transparency that he felt like having a dietitian was something that only white people did and he (laughs) really never knew anyone black who had a registered dietitian or a nutritionist and um do you think that Black people typically don't see or have a dietitian? I think so. I think some of it is, um, which I've shared with you in private, you know, in the field of dietetics, it's 3% people of color. And that's like all the people of color. So, you know, Black, Latinx, Asian, Pacific Islander, um, you know, et cetera. Right. Um, is it 3% of our profession? So, um you know, people go to who they trust. And a lot of times it's people that look like them. And I think that's part of the reason is there's just not a lot of black and brown practitioners. Um, But also in our community, we just don't understand what a dietitian does. I've talked to other black dietitians who, you know, when they told their family they were the dietitian, um, their reaction was kind of like, oh, you're just a cook or, you know, (laughs) oh, you're the lunch lady. And it's like, well, no, it's a little deeper than that. Yeah. (laughs) Or some people think dietitian means a diet. Mm -hmm. You know, just the word sounds like I'm going to put you on a diet and diet has a negative connotation for a lot of people. It does. And that's one of the reasons why the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has shifted the credential a little bit. So when you get certified now, you have the option to have the credential registered dietitian, which is RD or registered dietitian nutritionist, which is RDN. Same thing, but sometimes using that term nutritionist just eases people's minds a little bit um, because they don't, they feel like we're gonna take away their foods, which that's that's never the goal is to take away anyone's food. Yeah, yeah, I know. I um, am a big proponent, <laughs> I love food. <laughs> And if you mess with my food, we we have a problem. It's like I want I, I eat pretty healthy, but there are some things that are like I know this is not right, and I'm not giving it up. <laughs> Just, and I have no issues with that. <laughs> so at the beginning, you talked about um, in your intro that you help patients who have diabetes and you know an A1C of greater than nine. So I've, I have talked with so many people, um, been in healthcare 11 years, my mom's a nurse, my friends work in healthcare. And so I, I'm overly exposed to healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I can say I've observed is a lot of people don't even know what diabetes is. Mm-hmm. And we think we know, you would think after all these years of being you know, genetically predisposed and the incidence and, and the mortality and morbidity of and the rates that Black people have diabetes, we'd be experts on what it is, but mm-hmm. we are not. Mm-hmm. So, and we should be. Mm-hmm. So what, just in a very plain language, what is diabetes? 
So there's two different things that you're dealing with when you're dealing with diabetes. In a person that has type 1 diabetes, they are insulin dependent. So that person's pancreas simply does not produce insulin. And insulin is a hormone that your body should produce naturally. It's needed for you to um, be able to process those blood sugar spikes that come from you breaking down food. And so for that person, you know, they usually have to take insulin shots, you know, going forward once they figure that out in order to be able to function appropriately. In the case of type 2 diabetes or even gestational diabetes, which is diabetes that happens during pregnancy, it's insulin resistance. And what happens a lot of times is um, the patient's pancreas is producing so much insulin that eventually their cells get tired of it and they stop answering. So it's like that person that keeps calling you all the time and eventually you just start sending them the voicemail. This is pretty much what happens with the insulin in your cells. It's like, I'm, there's too much. I'm not doing anything anymore, like shutting down. And that's when you have type two diabetes or in the case of a pregnant woman, gestational diabetes. Okay. So there's more than one. We know there's at least the type one, type two, then there's the gestational, which is during pregnancy. How does someone get screened for diabetes? So if you're seeing a primary care doctor, which I do recommend everybody have a, a primary care doctor, at least yes. once a year, <laughs> if you're a healthy individual, they should be running labs, um, which include a hemoglobin A1C. And if it doesn't include a hemoglobin A1C, it will include a fasting glucose level. Yeah. Um, so what will happen if they're not doing the A1C, if they're just doing the fasting glucose level and it comes back that your fasting sugar is above 126, then they'll usually have you come back in and either run an A1C test or they'll do like a glucose tolerance test, which they often do during like your second trimester of pregnancy where they have you drink a glucose drink and then like wait so many hours to see, you know, how it's processed and where the sugar is after the fact. Okay. Yeah. So again, I think that's a recurring thing on almost all of my episodes, except maybe some of the mental health ones is it, it all goes back to that primary care provider. Mm -hmm. Even if you are top tier, looking good, shapely, mm -hmm. you got your six pack, you are snatched, waist mm -hmm. is popping, you still need to go see your PCP because you may not look sick, but you can be sick. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what we call skinny fat, right? You're skinny on the outside, yeah. but like your inside stuff is going on that resembles somebody who's like much heavier than you actually are. So yeah, it's yeah. important. Yeah, I looked at some stats before we got on the call about diabetes, particularly for Black people, and it was a report by the CDC, um, which is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and they estimate for the entire U.S. population, 10.5% have diabetes. Um, in the same report, diagnosed diabetes was 11.7% for non-Hispanic Black people in the U.S. versus 7.5% among non-Hispanic white people. So we really bring that average up to the 10%. Mm -hmm. And then the other stat, um, which is alarming, and I feel like it's a stat that's so many, we see with so many conditions, is non-Hispanic Black people are twice as likely as non-Hispanic white people to die from diabetes. So you can die from this. Mm -hmm. um, 
and of obviously like racial disparities and other things is very concerning and it can be caused by um, environmental things, socioeconomic things, physiological, genetic factors. It's not always just, oh, you don't eat right. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a lot of variables in that. So I wanted to throw out those stats on diabetes and just really try to drive home for people that PCP mm -hmm. <laughs> will get you together. Get mm -hmm. one if you don't have one. Yeah. Um, how often or at what age, I guess is a better question. At what age should we start being screened for diabetes? Realistically, because this type two diabetes is happening now and a lot younger. Um, unfortunately, you know, we used to call type one diabetes, juvenile diabetes, but they stopped doing that because I mean, I've seen people and I really hate to say this because it's sad, but I've seen kids as young as 10 years old with type two diabetes. Um, so you want to be getting screened as soon as possible. I mean, if you're an adult at age 18, get yourself a PCP. Um, I don't really know the ins and outs of the pediatric world. You know, my daughter's only four. So I guess I'll find out when they actually start doing blood work on her. Um, but yeah, I've seen it pretty young. Yeah, it seems like a lot of conditions and diseases are hitting younger and younger. Um, so how does diet, food, and nutrition play a role in diabetes. And the reason for my ask is we've all seen the movie Soul Food. We, we know a, a, a typical African-American diet, especially if you're, you know, Southern roots or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and we think, oh, you got diabetes because of that sweet potato pie, right? <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> right. It, not necessarily. Yeah. So, um, I mean, diet is, like you said, there are, when we teach diabetes education, there are seven self-care behaviors. Healthy eating is just one of them. So, you know, that should tell you that while we've put a lot of emphasis on, oh, you need to eat healthy, that's not the end all be all to, you know, managing diabetes or even preventing it from happening. So in terms of how it does play in, uh, in a factor is when you're eating more sugary foods, um, processed foods, um, and, and when I say sugary, I mean like um, added sugar, not, not foods that naturally have sugar. That's a totally separate topic. But when you're eating a lot of those foods, um, it causes your pancreas to produce more insulin. So like I said in the beginning, you know, your pancreas is like working overtime, producing insulin, trying to get rid of all this sugar. And the more and more you do that, then your, sh your cells st start shutting down. So that's one way that food can have a role in it. The other way is, you know, for those people who are eating relatively healthy, they're eating lots of fruits and vegetables and whole grains. Um, it may be about how they're balancing those things together. So they could be eating whole grains and they could be eating fruits, but those are carbohydrates. So if they're eating them in large portions and not balancing them right with, you know, their protein or their fiber foods, again, their, their pancreas is going into overdrive, trying to get rid of all this sugar and eventually the cells stop responding. Right. Um, so that's like the long and the short of, you know, it's, it's not just about the sugary foods, it's about combinations of foods as well. Okay. Now, I, I didn't include this in my, my questions, but one, we talk a lot about food, right? What about drinks? I think we forget about drinks. And I have so many friends who eat so healthy and family members and, you know, I'm not perfect either, but we think if I eat right, I'm good. And then we go drink a Coca-Cola, a Pepsi or orange drink, <laughs> blue drink, red drink, mm -hmm. um, 
which I saw a presentation maybe three years ago at like a conference or something. And it had like baggies full of how much sugar is in a can of soda or mm-hmm. orange drink. And it was like the size of my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, how do they squeeze that sugar into that little bitty cup? So can you talk a little bit about drinks? Yeah. So, um, what a lot of the people that I work with, um, whose A1Cs are greater than nine, they're diagnosed in the hospital. And when I, by the time they get to me and I'm talking to them about their diet, that's like the number one thing is they drink a lot of juice. They drink a lot of milk. They drink a lot of pop, um, or they're drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, and, and with alcohol, it's not the alcohol itself per se. It's more so what are they mixing it with? So the chasers, um, you know, again, all the, like juice and, and even milk, like full fat milk and all that, all that sugar is just causing your pancreas to like go into overdrive. Like I need to get rid of this. I need to get rid of this. And it's creating that sensitivity factor that they talk about with insulin sensitivity. Um, so that's not to say like, don't drink juice, don't drink milk. Um, you know, but you have to do it in moderation, everything in moderation, you know, watch the size of your cup, water it down if you have to, you know, figure out ways to incorporate more water. If you're not a water drinker, you know, even if you have to use those flavor packets. Um, but yeah, that that adds extra calories. So that's how people gain weight because uh, they're drinking their calories, but it also, you know, increases the likelihood of, of diabetes. Yeah. 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 I think we easily forget about drinks because you can't see it, you know, it's mm-hmm you have a cup of something, you can't see the sugar. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say probably maybe five to seven years ago, when I um, knew, started learning how much sugar was in drinks, I like to eat, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I was like, oh no, I want to eat. I, wanna, I would rather eat my calories, my mm-hmm. sugar, my fat, and my nutrition mm-hmm. um, than drink it. So <laughs> that's yeah. been my personal thing. Um, so how can people get more factual information about diabetes? And I bring this up a lot on my podcast because social media is great, but mm-hmm. it can be so detrimental to um, us because there's a lot of bad information out there, right? right. So how can somebody right. get factual information on diabetes that's easy to understand? Okay. So the American Diabetes Association website is a great place to go. It's www.diabetes.org. Everything on there is basically written at a sixth grade level. You know, they try to break everything down with different handouts about the different types of diabetes, how food plays a role, how exercise plays a role, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you figure out your medications, all that stuff. And they even have recipes. So that's a really good resource that I always send people to. Um, but again, if you're connected to a primary care provider, so we're going yep. back to this, um, they will likely, if they're in a larger hospital system, there's going to be dietitians, diabetes educators, somebody that they can send you to that can give you information that you need about diabetes. And in that situation, it's not going to be just your basic information that you have to kind of decipher. Once you sit down with those individuals, um, you know, you build a rapport with them, they start to understand your story, they start to understand what you like and what you don't like, and they can tailor it so that it fits into your lifestyle. And that is the big thing for me as a dietitian is for people to understand, you know, when your doctor is sending you to the dietitian, it's not so that we can be the food police and put chains on all your cabinets and tell you to throw everything out. It's so that we can partner with you 
to figure out how you can keep doing some of the things you're doing and make some adjustments to better your health. Okay. That's good to know, because I think, like you said earlier, it's, it's the fear of being told what you can't do. Mm-hmm. And that's a, in, in any human being, child, old, young, black, white, will have a knee jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. When they hear no, it's like, oh, I'm doing the opposite. The answer mm-hmm. is yes. Right, exactly. <laughs> for us. When we are told no, we, we put up resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good to know. I'm glad you said that. What are three tips for someone managing their diabetes if they've already been diagnosed from a from a dietetics standpoint? Mm-hmm. So, of course, you know, um, if you haven't already met with a dietitian, you know, ask your doctor for a referral. Um, you know, because it's going to be important that you figure out what you specifically need to be doing diet wise to get where you need to be in terms of your sugar management and also weight management, if that's a concern. Um, The second thing is to make sure that you remain physically active. Um, I know it's hard for some people to be physically active, but physical activity does not have to look like, you know, you know, an insanity workout or something like that. I mean, it can be something as simple as walking. It can be chair exercises. It, you know, can be desk exercises, but anything that increases your blood flow, because if you're increasing your blood flow by increasing your heart rate, then sugar is getting where it needs to go. It's getting out of your bloodstream. Um, And then the third thing is, you know, if you are prescribed medications, um, trust your doctor, trust your diabetes educator, and take them. Um, you know, if if the medication is giving you a negative side effect, don't stop it without having a conversation with whoever prescribed it, because they can probably give you some pointers on um, how you can adjust, or maybe they do actually need to change that medication if it's giving you that much of a problem. But you never want to stop taking it and just assume that things are going to be okay, because that's honestly how you end up being prescribed more medication. You know, once you go back. <laughs> Right, right. And I had a really, really close family friend um, who was diabetic and was and was not managing it. And she ended up having a stroke. And mm-hmm. it was it permanently disabled her. Mm-hmm. So there there are definitely like we said earlier on some other things, there are levels to diabetes. It's not always you're just walking around and you're okay. So you can mm-hmm. literally die if you don't manage it and you're not screened and you, and you don't take your medications mm-hmm. and talk with the right professionals. So those are some good tips. So before we close out, Asia, I always ask my guest expert two questions mm-hmm. and you can just come off the hip with these. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does wellness mean to you? So for me, wellness is a full body experience. So, you know, mind, body, soul. So it's not just about eating healthy or exercising. It's about being in a good mental space, um, you know, being present in the here and now so that you can kind of focus on the things that really matter the most and let everything else take precedence where it takes precedence. So um, a lot of it, comes from within you know it it has to be an internal decision it's not something that somebody can make you do um there has to be a larger reason why you're doing it in order for you to really be well yeah yeah i like that answer and then why is black health literacy important so it's important because 
I mean, I think we all know we've been burned by the medical system, Um, you know, so it's hard to trust, you know, it's easy to go and look for some alternative solution because, you know, we don't trust over here. Um, But it's important that we get factual information because a lot of times not having the right information can do us more harm than good. Um, You know, we could end up following something that does put us in a situation where it's not reversible um and and you know we have kids we have you know husbands we have mothers and fathers and friends and everybody who we need to be there for and we can't do that if we're not in the best health so right yeah I like that you said we we have to have the right information I am all about making your own decisions Mm -hmm. but make sure it's from an informed (laughs) factual standpoint yeah not the most recent hashtag (laughs) (laughs) so Asia you do a lot um in your nine to five you do a lot of work outside of your nine to five as an independent if people Mm -hmm. want to work with you now Mm -hmm. that we we have talked about the importance of a dietitian before disease after disease during disease how Mm -hmm. can people connect with you and learn more about your services so um my website is uh, www.myfreshessence.com. On the contact us page, um, you can send me an email or you can just email me directly if you prefer to. It's info at myfreshessence.com. Um, and we can start the conversation that way just to see where you are, what your needs are. Um, you know, some of the services on my website will have pricing, some of them don't. And the reason for that is because. I don't like to just throw prices at people. Yeah. Um, I kind of need to know what the situation is before I can determine what it's going to cost, you know, and how long we need to work together in order to resolve it. Um, I always give the analogy of, you know, when you take your car to the mechanic, um, you know, you you can't just take it to them and say, well, how much is it going to cost? And yeah. you haven't even looked at it to figure out what's wrong with it, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I realize that cost is a factor for people, but I try to work with people. Um, and I am credentialed to take regular Medicare. Um, Medicare Part B does pay for diabetes education. You get up to 10 hours of education through Medicare Part B. And then I'm also credentialed with Anthem Blue of Ohio. So, um, awesome. and typically commercial insurance will follow what Medicare does. So, you know, Right. Being in the diabetes space puts me in a better position in terms of taking insurance because yeah. um, I know it's a diagnosis that they'll pay for. Okay, that's good to know. That is really good. I'm glad you included that, um, who you're credentialed with and always check with your insurance to see what what benefits and services you can get because we miss out on a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Asia. I have enjoyed this conversation. Um, I look forward to working with you in the future for sure. I think this is a hot topic that needs to be discussed multiple times. Um, But thanks so much for coming on. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in today. Remember that the Black Health Lit podcast episodes will be released every first and third self-care Sunday of each month. To stay connected, you can find Black Health Lit on Facebook, IG, and Twitter at Black Health Lit. Let's keep the conversation going between each episode on social media with the official hashtag Black Health Lit. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Music or Spotify so that you can stay up to date and travel on this journey to reclaiming our health.